How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? God, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? God, destruction and violence are before me, and there is strife and conflict abounds. And therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Those are the words of prophet Habakkuk and even though they were written centuries ago, those could be your words and those could be my words today. I got God, how long must we endure injustice and, and suffering and evil? God, why, why do you let the arrogant and the righteous get away with it? Why do the righteous suffer while the wicked seem to prosper? God, will you do something? Will you do something? This is how the book of Habakkuk opens with lament. And we need to lament today. Just as a reminder to you, lament is an expression of deep pain and sorrow over not just our own personal sins, but the sins and the brokenness of the world, all the while trusting in God's promises and surrendering to his will in moments when it's often hardest to do so. Laments are honest and they're passionate and they're messy, but they always circle back to our faith in a sovereign, good God. Lament is an expression of deep faith and yearning and longing. Not lamenting often leads to unbelief. I've desperately needed the words of Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. And you'll see this on your screens. There is no such thing as a lament-free life. You see, to love is to lament, to let your heart be broken by something. Love anything and your heart will be broken. To love is to be vulnerable. I'm reminded, of course, of C.S. Lewis's words. What's the alternative? The alternative is to lock your heart up but in that safe casket of selfishness. Your heart might be safe, but it'll grow dark, motionless, airless, and it will change. It might not be broken, but it will become unbreakable and impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to lament. To love is to let your heart be broken by something. Then he goes on and he says, if you don't lament over the broken things in your world, then your heart shuts down. 
Your living vital relationship with God dies a slow death and you become quietly cynical. You become quietly cynical. Cynicism moves you away from God, laments, push you into his presence. We remind, we remind ourselves today that we have a God who laments. We have a God who understands what it's like to love and to have his heart be broken again and again and again and again. And he says, oddly enough, not lamenting leads to unbelief. Reality wins and hope dies. The reality of a broken world triumphs over the reality, the new reality of a redeemed world. You miss resurrection and you get stuck in death. I need to remember today, church, that lament reminds us that God is present not only in the triumphs and joys of our day-to-day lives, but also in the sufferings and trials of our day-to-day lives. Lament reminds us that even in the darkest, most difficult moments of our lives, God is still there. Lament reminds us that at the center of our faith is a suffering Savior who chose to enter our world of pain, suffering, evil, and injustice so that someday he could end and will end all suffering, evil, and injustice without ending us. I need this good news today. Has anybody else? My question to you and me in this morning is, what's breaking your heart this morning? What's breaking my heart this morning? I need to remind us that lament allows us to fully process our grief in a space where we are known and we are loved. Lament reminds us that we could trust him through the disorienting sting of cancer and death and unemployment and injustice, even as we move to fight for justice and reach out to those who are suffering with the love of the one who will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. Lament reminds me that I can go to him because he understands and he knows. After all, he is the one who said, I am deeply grieved even unto death. Church, I want to remind you and me this morning as we look at what's going on this week and all around us to lament, to, to be broken at the things that are broken in our world even as we place our trust and lean in to our faith, that the one we pray to is good. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is at work. Lament is critical for living a life of faith, and living a life of faith is what Habakkuk is all about. And that's where we've been. Habakkuk lives during the final days of the kingdom of Judah, where corruption, injustice, poverty, and violence rules. 
What does it mean to live by faith when there is so much evil, so much suffering and hardship and justice in our world? What does it mean to live by faith when I'm losing my job, my marriage is crumbling, house is foreclosing, the one that I love is sick and dying? What does it mean to live by faith when God seems distant, when God seems silent, when God seems inactive, when God seems absent? Well, Habakkuk is asking these very same questions that you and I are asking today. If you have your Bibles, open it to the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2 is where we will be. And just to catch you up and give you context, chapter 1, remember, begins with Habakkuk launching his first complaint, which we just read. And then God responds to Habakkuk. And God responds to Habakkuk by saying, I am going to do something, Habakkuk. I am going to bring the Babylonians and they are going to invade your country. And they're going to take you into exile. Which prompts Habakkuk to launch his second complaint and after launching his second complaint, Habakkuk does something that is crucial to living by faith. And that is waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is key. Not just to persevere during difficult, challenging, confusing times, but I want to say to you that waiting on the Lord as he calls us to is what anchors us and what enables us to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which is to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower, and stand at my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I asked you this last week, and I'm going to ask you again, what are you waiting on God for? Maybe some of you are waiting this morning for healing. Maybe some of you are waiting for prayer to be answered, prayer that you've prayed maybe not just months, but years. Some of us are maybe waiting for clarity and direction for our future. Maybe some of us are waiting for God's justice to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you waiting on God for? The challenge of the Christian life the challenge of the Christian life is that we what? We wait in the tension of the already and the not yet. This is the essence of the Christian life, isn't it, church? The Christian life is one of waiting. Jesus has already defeated Satan, sin, and death. I want to declare that this morning. Can I get an amen? He has defeated Satan, sin, and death, but he has not yet returned to make all things new. That means that we live in this in-between period where death, evil, injustice, hardship, unanswered prayer still exists. And so even as we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, and by the way, let me, let me just say something really clear up front because we're going to be talking about waiting for the for the next couple of weeks waiting on god has nothing to do with being passive 
It has nothing to do with being inactive. No, fight injustice. Pray for God to heal you from cancer. Push back the darkness. Contend for things that matter. And as we do, we wait for Jesus to return, to establish justice, to feed evil, and make all things new. Maybe somebody needs to be reminded this morning that justice delayed is not justice denied. He will come back and minister perfect justice and make all things new. A definition of waiting on the Lord might be something like this. It's watching expectantly for God without giving into bitterness. Let me say that again. Waiting on the Lord is watching expectantly for God without giving into bitterness. Psalm 130. Again, just as a night watchman waits for the morning sun, straining, leaning with expectation. This is how we wait for God, with longing, with expectancy, alert awareness, with our whole self straining to catch the earliest possible glimpse of this God who comes. You are looking, I am hoping, which means that we are vulnerable to bitterness and despair if God does not come through on our timetable. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but there are some of you who've given into bitterness and despair in the season of waiting. So listen to the words. Verse 2, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Verse 3, this vision is for an appointed time, moed. Come back to that. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be Delayed. God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I have heard your cries. I am going to do something. When God, when God, at the appointed time. Moed. Moed, the Hebrew word that literally means the unstoppable timing of God. I love this word. The unstoppable timing of God, which reminds us that if it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it's God's time, you can't stop it. Nothing can stop it. So I don't know what you're going through, friend. But God says, I hear your cries. I am aware of your situation. I see. But at the appointed time, at the moed, I will allow my perfect will to come to pass. And then, verse 4, so the righteous will live, what? By faith. The righteous we live by faith. We live not by seeing, but by believing. We walk not by sight, but 
by faith. I want to declare this morning that faith is much better than sight. Faith is much better than sight. While sight is important and valuable, sight has a very limited capacity, church. Sight deals with observable facts. Sight looks at evidence, forms opinions, and draws conclusions. But it is only capable of looking at observable facts. It cannot perceive any further. Sight has little to say about the power of God because our God is invisible. That's why sight is inadequate to making sense of the world around us because it's limited only to what's heard and what's seen in the news. And let's just be honest this morning. What is seen and heard in the news is discouraging, is disheartening, is faith challenging. And some of us this morning are only looking at what we can see and what we can hear. And perhaps we also find ourselves this morning discouraged, disheartened, and disillusioned. Faith looks at observable facts. Faith doesn't live in denial of reality. Faith doesn't bury its head in the sand and saying, I don't know what's going on. Faith looks at what's going on, but faith goes beyond what you can see and takes into account which is invisible, which is the power of God. God says, Habakkuk, my people are going to have to operate on that basis. Because when Babylon arises, if you operate only by what you can see, you're toast. You're going to have to operate by faith. And God says to you and me this morning, if you only operate by what you can see, you're toast. You and I are going to have to operate by faith. You see, sight tells us that justice is nowhere to be found. Sight tells us that my family, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. Sight tells us that the righteous seem to be prospering and winning. But faith says, I'm going to go beyond what I can see. I'm going to go beyond what I can hear and live by faith, by resting on the character and the promises of God. Can I get an amen? This is fundamental to the Christian life, church. This lies at the center of who we are. Can I give you some examples? Noah, build me an ark. What's an ark? It's going to rain. Rain, what's rain? It hasn't rained like ever. But Noah lived by faith, not by sight. Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Sight says 100-year-old people can't have any kids. But Abraham lived by, say with me, faith and not by sight. And the Bible says it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Faith sees the facts, but sees beyond it to see the promises and the character of God. One more example, Mary, Mary, you are going to 
bear the Messiah. Sight says impossible, but Mary lived by faith and not by sight. And her words are what? Let it be done to me according to your word. Faith sees beyond what we can see and what we could hear. May God give us eyes to see in the midst of all that we're living through, the eyes to see and ears to hear what God is up to. The good news is there's going to come a day when in the presence of Christ, we will see God and sight will be better than faith because God will be in the reach of sight. Is that good news? I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see him face to face. And until then, the righteous will live by, say it with me, faith, not by sight, which means we wait which means we watch expectantly for God without giving into bitterness or despair. So what does it look like to wait on the Lord? What does it look like to wait on the Lord, which is what we've been talking about? Last week we talked about waiting obediently, and today I'm just going to have one point with a number of subpoints. okay? We wait patiently. Say that with me. We wait patiently. Verse 3, Habakkuk hears from the Lord and saying, you need to wait patiently. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You'd be surprised at how often you find actually that command, not just wait, but to wait patiently and 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 that actually has been a discovery for me because at first i thought that just sounds redundant of course if you're waiting you're waiting patiently until i realize not all waiting looks the same imagine two people waiting for the bus one person is waiting patiently and you could envision what that looks like right another person is waiting but they're waiting agitated they're waiting lashing out they're waiting frustrated. Maybe even they're waiting despairing. Waiting patiently means God says, wait without agitating. Wait without lashing out. Wait without despairing. Patient in your waiting. Patient in your troubles. Patient in your circumstances. You know, how, how, do we, how do we do that? How, how do we then do, do that? A first waiting patiently is a deliberate act of humility. If you want to wait patiently, it's a deliberate act of humility. Let me break this down. See, I, I've heard, matter of fact, let me be honest. I've even said things like, man, I wish I was that patient. I, I wish I was patient like her. I wish I was patient like him. Like we think someone just is born with the patient gene. Or some people are just better at being patient than others. And the Bible says, no, 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 waiting patiently, check this out, is a deliberate act of humility. In other words, in order to wait patiently, 
You have to lay down, check this out, the burden of assumed omniscience. Lay down the burden of assumed omniscience, which is a fancy-schmancy way of saying, lay down the burden of trying to be God. Lay it down. Lay it down. Recognize he is creator. We're a creature. Recognize he paints on the canvas of the universe, church. He paints on the canvas of the universe. You and I, we see life through this tiny little the camera, phone. God paints on the canvas of the universe. We see life through a tiny lens. I was uh, running the other day. And I saw something that both cracked me up with sobering. It was a dad riding a bike with his little son, right? I don't know if you've ever seen this, but you ever seen? it's a bike. Essentially, it's a bike, and, and, and there's a, a smaller bike, if you on the back, right? But it's just basically a handlebar and a seat. It doesn't move. It doesn't do anything, right? So the dad is riding the bike, and he's, of course, going in. And I'm watching the dad. I'm watching the son. And the little kid in the back is doing his best to, you know, Act like he's steering. He's, he's thinking. He's thinking, yeah, I, I'm actually in control. I'm actually doing this bike. And the whole time, Dad is a broad smile from year to year. And he just, it was funny but also sobering because I realized that, that's me in the back. You, you go, no, 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 that's not, listen. We think that we are in control of the world. So if the world gets out of control, conclusion, the world is out of control. Uh, uh, if we can't control the world, then the world is surely out of control. Assumed omniscience. Look, this pandemic is blown, blown to shreds any plans that we have. Two-year plan, three-year plan, five. We don't even know what's going to happen in a few months. And you know what I've, you know what, we, 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 we how are we responding to that? How are, we're upset, we're angry, we're, we're frustrated, we're worried. And listen to this, listen, listen. We think that those are feelings we can't control. It just, we think, but, 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 but those feelings arise, church, out of an assumption. Those feelings are right. What is that assumption? I've heard some people say, Pastor Peter, it's absolutely disastrous that X, Y, and Z is not happening. To which I go, well, how do you know that? How, how do you know that unless X, Y, and Z happens, that things are not working out the way they're supposed to and that God is very much at work? We might guess, but we don't know. I have one more example, and this is a tougher one for me. I've heard people say, I don't see why God is allowing all this suffering and evil. I don't see how God could possibly bring anything good out of this. And let me just say, emotionally, I get it. Emotionally, I am there with you. But you can't assume. I can't assume because you can't think of a good reason why God would allow evil and suffering and hardship that there can't be a good reason. That's assumed omniscience. To say 
All of this seems pointless to me. Therefore, it has to be pointless, lacks humility. To say, God has to make sense, doesn't make sense. Listen, church. God could handle your doubts. We have a God who welcomes your questions. He welcomes your doubts. He welcomes your, why God? How long, God? As I said, contend, fight, cry out. But the sovereignty of God, the truth that God is completely in control, working, weaving, yes, even evil, injustice, and suffering together for his good, that truth will not be comforting unless we humble ourselves and say, I am just a child. Waiting patient is a deliberate act of humility where we lay down the burden of assumed omniscience. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk says a good, sovereign God is completely in control. That means bad things will turn out for good. Good things will never be taken away. And the best is yet to come. God is doing a billion things right now. And we might, we might be aware of one. Friend, lay down the burden. Lay down the burden. Patience. Waiting patiently, deliberate act of humility. Secondly, waiting patiently is a deliberate act of choosing growth over comfort. Growth over comfort. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be constant in in prayer. I've been a pastor for a number of years. And when difficulties, disappointments, and challenges come, you know what I almost never, ever hear from anybody? Somebody saying, you know, what an opportunity for me to become the kind of person I've always wanted to be. You know, what an opportunity to become the kind of person my wife, my husband, my children, what an opportunity for me to become the kind of person God wants me to be. Almost nobody says that. But the Bible says when you meet disappointments, hardships, trials, and suffering with patience, it leads to greatness. We can become the servant of suffering. Or we can make the suffering our servant. You can become bitter. You can become better. Pressure can turn a lump of coal into a diamond. Hudson Taylor said it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or it presses you, presses you, and presses you nearer to God's heart. As I've reflected on the kind of growth that could occur, these are the things that came to me. One, 
waiting patiently, has an opportunity to strip you and me of our false self. If you've come to our church for any length of time, you know we talk about the difference between true self and false self. False self, that identity that's wrapped around, I am what I do, I am what other people think, and I am what I have. Think about what this pandemic has done. Think about what this pandemic has done to those of us who live and function from I am what I do. What's happening to you and me when we can't perform, when we can't achieve? When we can't accomplish, and our entire identity is wrapped around, I am what I accomplish, I am what I achieve, and I am what I do. Activists, do you struggle with the illusion of activity that says, unless I am doing, God can't? Unless I am doing, God can't? In the season of inactivity, do you believe that God is still at work? Exodus 14, 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today for the Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. You know who said that? Moses, who waited 40 years in the desert to be stripped of his false self. What about I am what I, other people think? In this season where there's a lot of time on silence and solitude, where nobody is telling you how awesome you are, whose attention and acceptance really matters. Whose attention and acceptance really, really matters. I've said this again and again and again. Let whom who cannot be alone be aware of community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we are dangerous to community when we look to community to give us things that they cannot give. But we are a gift to community when we find our joy and satisfaction in God and we are freed, free to serve others as Jesus loves us. And why am what, I, what, I, what about I am what I have? What happens if your entire identity is built on your career and this pandemic has blown your career? What happens if your entire identity is found on financial security? What happens do you even have a self? What deep work is the Lord doing as you wait patiently to be stripped of your false self? Another, waiting patiently refines your commitment to God. Waiting purifies us, church. Are you waiting for God? Or are you just waiting for God's answers? Are you waiting for God? Or are you just waiting for God's deliverance? So much of our waiting is just waiting for God to answer our prayers, to do something for us. But do you want his heart? Or are you only after what's in his hands? If you desire an answer from God more than God, that answer will take you further and further and further away from God. If God is true life, joy, peace, why would a good, loving God give you something that will take you further and further away from Him, the true source of life, joy, peace, and truth? What are you most afraid of losing right now? What we fear is ultimately 
what enslaves us? What is God doing in the season of waiting to say, are you depending on that more than me? Are you looking to that for identity more than me? Are you looking to that for significance more than me? Are you looking for that to give you significance more than me? Waiting patiently refines us. Third, waiting patiently makes us more useful to others. The people that I admire the most, the people that have had the greatest impact on my life, are never people who've never gone through stuff. But they're the very same people, the people that have impacted me, admire, I admire the most, are people who have gone through some really hard, challenging stuff, but they've come through it on the other end. Not bitter, but better. If you look at people who've lived just a charmed life, have never struggled, never suffered, they don't know how life works. They don't understand how the human heart works. They can't empathize with you. But when we suffer, we become more tender-hearted and more empathetic. Someone said empathy is not feeling for, but it's feeling with. It touches a part of you and me that says, I have been where you have been. I have been, or you have been. You are not alone in this. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Waiting patiently makes us more useful to others. And lastly, waiting patiently becomes a mode of witness. Waiting patiently becomes a mode of witness. My little guy, Noah, more so than Parker and Sophie, had a really hard time going to sleep with the lights off. <laughs> so it was, it, it was a bit of a challenge battle, if you will, right, for, for us to do the whole dance, you know. First it was, can you keep the light on, right, and then okay. And the light in the room was turned off. Can you leave the hallway light on? Right? And, 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 then, and then, of course, oh, you should, but can you leave the door open? <laughs> By the way, he's 10 now, and, and, and that's not, it's not an issue. It's not an issue, just to be clear. But can you imagine my son Noah when he's 27 years old, coming and visit mom and dad, and when I finally go to him as he's about to go to sleep at night, can you imagine Noah saying, Dad, 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 can you, can you, can you leave the light, light on? Okay, can, you, can, you leave, can you leave the... To, to which all of us would go, you are what? You are 27 years old. I think sometimes our Heavenly Father in His love, compassion, and grace says to you and me, my child, I've been teaching you how to live, not just when the lights are on, but when the lights are off. See, we think that the greatest testimony is when we experience miraculous intervention of God, 
We think that the greatest testimony is when we experience one victory after another. We think that greatest witness comes when, when we live sort of above what everybody else goes through. And I want to say to you today, no, our powerful witness becomes our most powerful witness becomes when the circumstances say there is no God. When the circumstances say God is not good. When the circumstances say God is not in control. And the whole world says that's right. And yet we say with our lips and with our lives, the Lord in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. We declare with our lives in the midst of all of that, God is good, God is sovereign, God is still at work. When circumstances say otherwise, we respond by trusting God, not just when the lights are on, but when the lights are off. My favorite, one of my favorite hymns, when darkness veils your lovely face, I rest I rest on your unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Waiting patiently, holding on to that truth becomes a powerful testimony and a witness to the watching world. Let me end with this, Job 23, 8. Job says, if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. I don't know what God is up to, but God knows. Even though I don't know where God is, God knows where I am. God knows where you are. God knows, child of God. I feel like he's forgotten about me. I feel like he's forgotten about us. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget. He knows the way that I take. So, Job says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I will come forth as gold. I am going to live by faith and not by sight. I am going to lay down the burden of assumed omniscience and say, I am a child of God. And I am going to lean in and choose growth over comfort, trusting that as I wait and watch expectantly, that the one who sits on the throne is at work in all things for his glory, for my good, and for salvation and redemption 
close your eyes and pray with me. I want to lead us through a short time of prayer. You'll see these prayers up on the screen. And as I pray it, pray along with me. And after we pray the written prayer, a moment of silence to listen as the Lord speaks. Here's the first prayer you'll see on the screen. Pray this with me. Lord, help me to quiet my soul and trust in your goodness to me. We are tempted to believe that justice delayed is justice denied. We don't really understand that one day you will make all things right. Lord, help me to believe that you are just that you will bring justice. Here's the next prayer. In the season of waiting, patiently. Lord, is there something you want to show me about your character, your will, and your ways through this? Next prayer. Lord, how can I love you more deeply, more passionately, and become more like you in this process? next prayer. Lord, is there anything that needs changing in my life or anything you want to teach me through this? lastly, Lord, please show me how I can use this experience to help someone else for the sake of your glory.
Heavenly Father, as this global pandemic continues, political infighting persists, economic fragility remains, and injustice remains unchecked. It's heart-centering to know that of the increase of your government, as I says, there will be no end. You are ruling the world with truth and grace. There's no alarm. There's no panic in heaven. In the fullness of time you came. In the fullness of time you will come again. In the meantime, you aren't passive, but you're praiseworthy. So, Father, we firmly set our hope in the truth that because Jesus Christ lives, we can face our painful yesterdays, our vulnerable todays, and our unknown tomorrows. Help us value genuine faith more than a comfortable life. You haven't promised us all the answers we want, but you've promised all the grace that we need. And we are so grateful to be called your children. So we rest in your love. We surrender to your sovereignty. And we anticipate your faithfulness. May our suffering make us more sensitive to the sufferings of those around us. It is in your powerful, majestic, compassionate, gracious name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.